Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of our Little Alarms series, only available on Patreon. Four plays into the first game mm -hmm. with Aaron Rodgers. He tears his Achilles oh. and he's out for the season. See ya. Out for the season. That's People terrible. are just tearing all the things. Ace, the, uh, what is it? L-U's? The, the AC... The ACLU is... Okay, this is a different thing, though. Different yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, that's a different thing. I don't uh -huh. know if his civil liberties have been infringed upon by the by the defense, although it's possible that possible. they have. Yeah. Um, but his, his, his Achilles. Okay, yeah, Achilles. and that's bad. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now, on to our episode. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. 
And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Berlin Wall. Here's what you need to know. At the end of World War II, Germany was divided into four parts, and the Allied forces, made up of the United States, France, Great Britain, and the Soviet Union, each occupied their own section. Although the alliance of these four nations was necessary to defeat the Axis powers, their vision for the future of Europe was not aligned. The Soviet Union wanted to take advantage of the weakened Germany and turn it into a communist ally, while the Western countries wanted it to have a liberal market economy. This ideological rift caused the relationship between the allies to deteriorate, and as a result, Germany was divided into the Federal Republic of Germany in the West and the German Democratic Republic in the East, the latter being controlled by the Soviet Union. No trade or travel was allowed between West and East Germany, and to make things more complicated, Berlin, which was located in the now Soviet-controlled East, was divided in two. The US, Britain, and France controlled the western half, and the Soviets controlled the eastern half. Although technically, the residents located in East Berlin were banned from leaving their country, practically it was as easy as getting on a bus to the west side and then flying out from there. For years, many citizens of East Berlin defected in this way, and it caused major economic problems for the Soviet Union. So, in the wee hours of August 13, 1961, the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, began sealing off entry points from East Berlin into the western part of the city with barbed wire fencing. Overnight, officials had erected the first iteration of what is now known as the Berlin Wall. For the next 28 years, East Berliners would be trapped on their side, in some cases separated from families and their places of work. The Berlin Wall was reinforced throughout the years with barbed wire, concrete barriers, watchdogs, bunkers, and armed guards. By 1965, it was over 100 kilometers long. Although it was mostly effective in keeping its citizens from escaping, the wall became a global symbol for communist repression. Not even family members, who used to live in the same city, could visit each other without submitting burdensome paperwork that would get backlogged by the government. By the 1980s, the Soviet Union was under pressure from their Eastern Bloc allies, such as Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and Poland, to lift its harsh trade and travel restrictions. And on November 9, 1989, the Soviet government made an announcement saying that they were going to make travel permits more accessible to East Germans. The Berlin citizens were ecstatic. Throngs of people flooded to the border crossing points in the wall. The guards, confused and overwhelmed, opened the gates 
and a celebration ensued. People from both sides drank and danced together, and many brought hammers and destroyed large portions of the wall. By 1990, Germany was officially reunified, and shortly thereafter, the Soviet Union fell. Fun Facts, aka Death Stats. On August 12, 1961, at least 2,400 refugees, the largest number of defectors to leave East Germany in a single day, led to the creation of the wall. By 1989, the wall was lined with 302 watchtowers. The Berlin Wall was not one wall, but two. Measuring 155 kilometers, or 96 miles long, and four meters, or 13 feet tall. In all, at least 171 people were killed trying to get over, under, or around the Berlin Wall over the course of its 28-year history. Only about 5,000 people managed to cross over the wall, escaping into West Berlin during this time period. Germany reunited on the 3rd of October, 1990, 11 months after the fall of the Berlin Wall. The last death of someone trying to cross the wall was in March of 1989. It was a person who tried to cross in a malfunctioned balloon. He fell to his death. On December 3rd, 1989, Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev and U.S. President George H.W. Bush released a statement saying the Cold War was over. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is friend and the new artistic director of the Elysian Theater in L.A., Jacqueline Landgraf. Hi, Jacqueline. Hey, guys. Hello. Uh, uh, guten Tag. Mm. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Yes. Guten Tag. Good to be Bratwurst. here. Is that what that means? Good day. Means hello. Oh, yes. good day. Good day. Great. Hello. Great. I already... This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jacqueline, before I ask you a very important question, maybe tell our listeners a little bit um, about the uh, the Elysian Theater and kind of like what shows are going on that they can, if they're in the L.A. Uh, area, they can check out uh, or if you know they can maybe just check out the schedule um, on their on your website sometimes that's just as good as going to a live show as just looking at the schedule mm -hmm. <laughs> riveting awesome <laughs> um yeah i'm so excited to talk about it the elysian theater if you haven't been there is on the east side of la in frogtown at the bottom of the hill of dodger stadium echo park frogtown and it is a seven night a week all year long programming of outsider comedy and outsider experimental theater. So it really kind of lives out in the fringes of Hollywood and kind of outside the typical stand-up improv Hollywood machine. There's a lot of a lot of different acts, a lot of possibilities with seven nights of programming. Um, there's emerging artists who are developing shows. There are established artists that 
I think many of your listeners would know who come to try out their riskiest material, oh, try yeah. out like new things. Fact checker Chris. Like yeah. fact checker Chris, who <laughs> recently did two performances of acting in a time such as this at the mm-hmm. Elysian, which mm-hmm. we loved having him there. Thank you. I loved being there. It's a beautiful stage. Cool <laughs> stage. stage. Big. And it has like, such a cool history, Jacqueline. You were telling me about how it was silent a silent movie, movie theater. theater. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's. A, it's an incredible space in LA. It's like it's over a hundred years old. It was originally a silent movie cinema called the Elysian, and it was a five hundred seat theater. And I'm pretty sure that in every iteration since it's been a silent movie house, it has been a theater live performance space in some way, and still mm. has like the original marquee. And it's located in an area of LA. If you guys know East LA, where it's like just under the five freeway. And so you're kind of in a no man's land. And Mm. then you see (laughs) this shining old marquee as you drive down. And I hope that those of you in LA or anybody who's visiting LA comes by the Elysian because it's uh, meant to be a space where you can walk in on any night of the week and really see something exciting and different. And there's going to be hits and there's going to be misses, but you'll never be bored. Mm. And uh, (laughs) there's such a great vibe there. And we're just really, always looking for like what is electric like what are what are the most electric I highly acts? recommend and you know there's probably a lot of ghosts that you can mm-hmm. um, you know with such a rich history I'm sure there's ghosts so that's good there's um, definitely something hi we have to ask you what is something that's recently alarming you what's something that's keeping you up at night <laughs> well theater ghosts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally theater ghosts well, you know, in a hundred seat theater, so this is a, I'm, I'm new to the Elysian. And so it has been really fun to be working, uh, you know, upstairs and backstage and like in the wings of a proper theater every day, which is where I f- feel at home to begin with. But, uh, but you know, when you're walking into a hundred year space in a city at the bottom of a hill called the Elysian Fields. <laughs> like you have lots of critter friends mm. and you have lots of theater ghost friends and mm. you have lots of Angelinos. <laughs> friends. <laughs> friends being the operative so, word. Hopefully. You know, like there's yeah. all it's like you never know who's gonna show up uh yeah. any given night of like in the spirit world, in the animal world, in mm-hmm. the human sphere. And so that is both like the fun of running a wild space and uh a wild and sort of vintage space and also a little of the anxiety of running a vintage (laughs) theater in Los Angeles. Well, the good news is that all are welcome at the Elysian. All are welcome. Mm -hmm. And it transitions perfectly into a time period in Germany where not all were welcome in all parts of Germany. Wow. And when the Elysian was still standing while this was happening. Yes. Definitely. Oh my God, that's yeah, wild to think I know. about. Mm-hmm. That the illusion was just run being a doing theater. picture shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's crazy that some things happen at the same time as other things happen. Right. It's weird. It is. The wall was still up when we were born. Yes, absolutely. I remember when it came down. I remember mm-hmm. that night. Me too. Wow. Yeah. My dad was like, "Watch this news," and I was like, "News is boring. I'm out of here." <laughs> Going to the theater. And now you wish you could watch that news (laughs) in real time. It would be so thrilling. 
I apologize to all of our parents mm-hmm. for being such brats. <laughs> um, I want to start off by talk. There's a lot to put up on the board. And before we even jump into that, I want to talk about some things that are important to understand before we even put things up on the board. Sure. Okay. First up, I want to talk about how the, the actual geography of how the separation mm-hmm. worked. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a map right now, and I highly recommend you do so as well. Quick Google search. You'll see how West Germany was divided uh, and then how East Germany uh, sat with Berlin right in the middle. So mm-hmm. if I can, I'll try and explain this. The West was divided into, th- it was like two thirds of Germany. And it was divided into three parts with Great Britain, France, and the United States uh, under, it was like Great Britain up top, France to the uh, west, and uh, United States to the southern, southeast. Mm -hmm. Then you have East Berlin, which was uh, Soviet Union, and that's like in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And right in the middle of East Berlin, East sorry, Germany. Uh, East Germany, East Germany is Berlin. All which of they it. Also, yeah. yeah, all of Berlin. <laughs> so it was like an island inside of East Germany that was divided into four parts as well. Right. <laughs> because it was the capital. And mm-hmm. um, so if you could just imagine that... So it, if you think about it, it was like a little pocket where if you did want to leave East Germany, you could go to Berlin and cross over to the western side and then take a flight. Right, right. Out. Mm-hmm. Which Out. happened a lot at the, in the beginning before the, before the, before the, wall. the wall, right? Yes. The, I mean, the, the stats are, are, are wild. I know we just went through them, but it was around... 2.7 million people who left East Germany and, and East Berlin between 1949 to 1961. That's a lot of people. Around half of this steady stream of refugees were young people that were under the age of 25, which was a real problem for East Germany. And in 1960 alone, 200,000 people made a, a, a permanent move. So mm-hmm. a lot. The influx is huge. Yeah. So they had a real like loss of brain trust, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they yes. lost the brain all drain, of their the it. brain drain. Yeah. Like they lost all of their youth and a lot of their intellectuals and a lot of their more skilled workers. Like they all, they all hightailed it out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something I was also uh, learning about was that the, it was the younger generation, right? So the older generation had just gone through the war which we'll eventually, we'll get to. We're going to put up the war as well. But um, it had just gone through the war, and so they were, not that they were happy, but maybe more complacent about the situation. Whereas the younger generation, as they were you know, getting older and wanting to create a life of their own, they were like, wait a minute, this is not good for us. We didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't go through the war. Right. We have a different life experience, and expectations were different right 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 Right. and their their experience of the war the younger generation um even if they did it was less they didn't see the devastation and they didn't carry it with them right so even though this was maybe not an ideal scenario for the for germans in the east germany they were like well this is better than the alternative perhaps Mm mm-hmm 
And there was a pretty stark difference between like the restructuring and the rebuilding between East and West that was like pretty palpable. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the actual wall as well. Sure. Because I find this very interesting. It was a, you know, it went up as a, a, a barbed wire fence in 61. It's like a little baby wall. <laughs> I mean, but it was still pretty good at, you know, I guess actually in the first few weeks, there were areas where you could go kind of underneath the fence and escape. So a lot of people left, you know, the, the majority of the people who actually did leave East, uh, East Berlin during that time or, or during the wall left in the beginning. Right. Because they could. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually they built a second wall. It was like a concrete wall. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they built a second wall. They also built a a dam or or like not not a dam. That's the wrong thing. Did they call it the strip or something? What was there was a yes, term the for strip. it? So on the east side, it was like a dog run where they would uh they would have watchtowers. They would right. let dogs out. Um, they painted. They create the barbed wire fence became a concrete wall. They painted it white so that you would people would stand out if they um against the wall mm. so it, it was a, a a massive construction project and like right through the heart years. of the city like literally yeah. separating families people from their businesses or, or workplace like there was no it wasn't um it wasn't a clean <laughs> It was very disruptive. A clean. It wasn't yeah. a clean cut. Yeah, they were we just like this about... is a convenient place for the wall. They were just like tear no. down that building. We have to keep the wall going. Mm. It just. Uh, I spent the this very formative summer in 2010 in Berlin workshopping a play, and I lived on Bernauerstrasse, which is a really significant street for. Uh, it's actually like where the Berlin Wall Memorial starts because mm. it was like this area. So the the flat that I was staying in was like three doors down from where the wall started, wow. which was the area that or the street on Bernardstrasse between Prenzlauerberg and what is now Mitte, the the center of the city. And so, you know, I, if you guys have been to Berlin, it's like a city of uh, like there's memorials everywhere. There's mm -hmm. like remembrances everywhere. And like as Berliners explained to me at the time, like you know, the past century with like the atrocities of world war two and then the cold war, like they, this, the contemporary city is like a city of atonement in some ways. Yeah. So there's like, there's, you kind of encounter their history through memorials and sculptures and art everywhere you turn. And so I just remember like three doors down from where I was saying there's this memorial to where the, the wall started and it's so wild it's like they just woke up one morning and like the building was divided into mm. you know and so yes. there was like literally in the first few days or first few weeks it was like people just like jump trying to jump over to the next building to get down and a lot of people were able to escape right there on Bernardstrasse in the first few weeks and then they had to evacuate all of those buildings um because it was too and easy. And board them up, right? And board them up, yeah. Yeah. 
And a lot of people I read, uh, it must have been on that same street, would go outside with bed sheets and and climb down to try and catch. No, to try and catch the people who were jumping Mm. off the building. Yes. And a lot of people got away that way. There was that I I read about that one building where you I think the entrance was in the east or in the west and the exit was in the uh, the other side and people would escape through there until, of course, officials caught wind that that was happening. So a lot of stories. And if we have more time to talk about them, we'll we'll, we'll discuss. But we do have to jump into the blame. blame. Yeah. And first up is World War II. Let's put it up. Yeah. (laughs) Not the first time it's been up on the board. Won't be the last. (laughs) This is from study.com. By the beginning of 1945, it appeared as though Germany would lose the war. At the Yalta Conference held on February 11th, 1945 at Yalta, a resort near the Black Sea, it was decided that the Allied powers that once Germany, that once Germany unconditionally surrendered, the country, along with its capital, was to be split into four zones. But the fourth occupied zone, at Stalin's insistent, was to be carved out of the American and British zones for France. The Soviet Union was to have direct control over most of Eastern Europe and the eastern one-third of Germany. The United States, United Kingdom, and France were there to have the western two-thirds. The Russians took over Eastern Europe, East Germany, and also Berlin. Hitler killed himself on April 30th, 1945. Germany surrendered on May 8th, 1945. The war on Europe was over, although Japan would continue the war until it surrendered in August 15, 1945. This is from the Business of Migration. The Second World War's economic toll after 1944 on the area which later became the GDR was exacerbated by active deindustrialization and enormous reparations taking the form of the Russians seizing as much German industrial equipment uh, as they could. Reparations and population transfers had been authorized under the 1945 Potsdam Agreement of the Allies, though in a different manner and extent than they were carried out. But cooperation between the Western powers and the Soviet Union increasingly broke down after 1945. The East-West economic gap within Germany widened further after the Western zones merged to form the state of West Germany, whose economy developed with some help from the newly created Deutsche Mark and the Marshall Plan, later becoming known as the as an economic miracle. Now, from my understanding, there was a lot, the, the idea of how to move forward or the plan of how to move forward was very divided. Mm -hmm. The Western allies had gone through World War I and had imposed heavy reparations on Germany and... Then they saw the results of what came from that, which was the rise of Nazism and Hitler and World War II. So they were hesitant to put Germany under that economic stress. Now, Mm. the Soviet Russia, the Soviet Union had a different idea of how they wanted to uh, deal post-war with the economy. And they felt like they weren't their needs or their economic 
struggle and what they had put into the war was not being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. The Russians felt that way. Yes. Yeah. So a part of me feels like we should, the, the issue of reparations mm-hmm. post-war should also go up on the board. Okay. Right. Um, and this was made clear that they were just not on the same page during the, the Potsdam Agreement. Um, and maybe we'll just jump right in and then we'll discuss. How about okay, that? Okay, sure. Okay, okay yeah. Because <laughs> this is a lot, it's a lot. to a cover. Lot. Uh, the Potsdam Agreement, this is from the National World War II Museum website. Between July 17 and August 2nd, 1945, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, replaced later by Prime Minister Clement Attlee and U.S. President Harry Truman met at Potsdam, Germany to negotiate the terms of the end of the World War II. Even though the Allies remained committed to fighting a joint war in the Pacific, mutual distress stemming from differing views of what a post-war world should look like led to disagreements on several key issues. Consequently, some historians have pointed to the Potsdam Conference as one of the several fissures between the Soviet Union and the West that set the stage for the Cold War. The three most pressing issues discussed at Potsdam uh, concerned how to handle defeated Germany, the fate of Poland, and the final destruction of Japanese military power. Questions dealing with German reparations, the economic rehabilitation of Germany, Poland's post-war borders, and the composition of Poland's government proved to be most contentious. The big three, however, also had to make decisions regarding the stabilization of China, Axis satellite states, and orderly population transfers. Unlike the previous conferences at Tehran and Yalta, Stalin and his Western counterparts were becoming increasingly suspicious of each other's post-war intentions. On the one hand, the United States and Great Britain feared a Soviet-backed communist domination of Europe, which drove their decision-making at Potsdam. On the other hand, Stalin believed that his Western allies did not appreciate the sacrifices made by the Red Army and the Soviet citizens during the war, remarking at times that the West was committed to denying the Soviet Union appropriate compensation. As a historian, uh, Michael Nyberg argues in Potsdam, the end of the World War II and the remaking of Europe, the disagreements at Potsdam also depended on how each leader viewed history as much as each leader's strategy and vision for a post-war world. What you have, I don't know. Tell us, Chris. You got a big old old mess. Mm -hmm. It's a mess. (laughs) You got a big old German mess. Germany was like, I want to take over the world. They failed and they left a huge mess. Mm -hmm. Basically, what should Europe look like? And now suddenly you have America... Britain and Russia deciding that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to blame Hitler. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be up there. <laughs> yeah, let's put let's him up, put there. up there. Definitely. Yeah, it was a decimated country in the city itself, especially. I remember going to Berlin when I was 30, and I took this really amazing graffiti tour of the city, which a lot of graffiti in the Berlin Wall is like pretty iconic. There's a ton yeah. of graffiti that happened on the wall throughout the course of it. On the west side. Yes. And I think even at one point, Keith Haring like came, did, did like a, a section, like a mural on part of the wall. Anyway, mm. 
I remember walking through Potsdamer Platz, which is like a huge, just like a major center of the city. And the, our guide pointed out to us that this part of the city, which was like bustling with so much construction, was so destroyed and left vacant for so long that now all of the buildings as a result of the war were younger than I was at the time. And I was mm. 30 years old and it was crazy to be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old in this like ancient European, you know, this old yeah. country and that like it was so messed up and left for the war that like now I'm even older than the building in this like center hub of this old yeah. city like Berlin. It's kind of kind of a mind yeah. bend. If you've seen like Wings of Desire, which is one of my favorite movies, it's it's Vim Vendors and it's like it, it's just kind of like capturing the feeling of of what it is like to be in this divided city in Berlin and like after the war and while the wall is up and uh, it's about like angels looking down at the city. And there's like, they keep passing an old man who's who keeps like saying over and over again, like, wo ist Potsdamer Platz? Wo right. ist Potsdamer Platz? Like he, mm. he can't find, can't find it. It. It, doesn't, yeah. it isn't there. Destroyed. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's like a really captures like what must be some of like the psychic confusion of this time. Imagine being these German, you know, it's like, like what a century, you know, it's like your parents perhaps have, have gotten through the war and they were either, you know, uh, on the Nazi side yeah, or they yeah. were like able to somehow like fly under the radar of that. And, and then they lost the war and then, they were such an upheaval that then they were, and they were so I think defeated and humiliated and and broken down and and impoverished and everybody was kind of then able to like, uh, you know, to the victor goes the spoils and so like then you're just now growing up in this totally confused psychically yeah. bereft place and then mm. like this wall goes up and so like it like it's it's wild I think if we were born. Uh, like at the exact times that we were in the early 80s but like in Germany we would have such a sense of like if our our parents grew up during the cold war in a divided Berlin you know and mm -hmm. our grandparents grew up during the world war during world war ii and were yeah. either like with the pro or yeah yeah like with Hitler yeah how confusing yeah it must have been like, to just like be born at that time all of a sudden you watch TV and like everyone seems different but like, yeah. you look <laughs> around and you're like what is this right yes also to yeah. be like the young kid and being like why are we so like we were bad like you're learning how bad you, yes. you your parents yeah. and your grandparents mm -hmm. possibly were and like how right. you coming to terms with that and being like oh god what is that we did what like I know no. Yeah, oh, it's not God. your fault. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Not your fault. Yeah. You're born in 1980, Berlin, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Just a very confusing uh, time. Uh, I, I, I feel like we have to put Stalin up on the board, too, for sure. making it even more confusing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, Let's get the big guys up there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the, the head of the Soviet Union during the, you know, post-war agreements he's handling how everything's gonna go and i mean he he had uh, those ambitions to really t take control of all of eastern europe and he did for mm -hmm. what was it uh 40 40 plus 40 years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah joey stalin joey um, yeah joey. <laughs> wanted to 
I mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, and it was also, you know, the East Germany was run sort of with the backing of the Soviets and with the backing of Stalin and um, their program was very clear cut, right? They wanted to basically take advantage of this, I guess, like, you know, depressed asset in a sense, right? And turn them into just part of the Eastern Bloc that would just be, all right, you're sort of going to be part of the Soviet Union now. So yeah, he saw it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can argue that the West did the same thing with, with sure. Germany by, you know, it making certainly it, did. Uh, you know, by making, yeah, exactly. Um, it just so, became communist versus capitalism, right? And like, yeah. there was such a stark uh, difference between each experience. Yeah, right. I think it's good that Rebecca pointed out, like, it's so weird. Like, it's still hard to wrap my mind around, like, like Russia and America having been on the same side, like both feeling yes. like they yes. won the war, yeah. you know, and then just both kind of like with their arms crossed looking at each other and like, what right. do we do with this city? Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Is, whose is it? You know, it's like, and a, if you go, if you go back to, um, you know, you know. Uh, did you guys watch Oppenheimer? We we saw Oppenheimer, yes. and the the distrust in the in the Russians was immediate, right? They were like, "Well, well, it was even during it was happening during, during the, war. the war. They hadn't yeah. even exactly won. <laughs> Ex exactly, and they were like, "Oh my God, we can't let the Russians do what we know is possible now that like nuclear fission is possible or yeah. whatever." Mm. Um. So yeah, it's weird being an ally to somebody, um, mm -hmm. like you're saying, Jackal, in that is has such a, a diametrically opposed sort of ethos and yeah uh, i i think life. we should put the threat of nuclear war yes. up on the board sure. because that was a big part of why the wall went up mm -hmm. and and why the united states didn't do anything to stop the wall from mm -hmm. going up mm -hmm. because you know, it, it is baffling when you think about it. You're like, well, they they were part of a city. And why didn't the U.S. say, no, you can't put that wall up? Like, why I, didn't I think JFK has it? that famous quote that was like a wall is better than a war. Yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly. And I think that a big part of it was that everyone knew that the United States had a nuclear bomb. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and. They all the, and the United States knew that Russia also had a bomb, yep. mm -hmm. and it was like this situation of like, well, I don't want to rustle any feathers because we're new to this. We mm -hmm. don't know how we're right. all going to react mm -hmm. to all of us having a bomb. Yeah, yeah. Don't what give, a time. don't give boys bombs. Gosh. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no. Like if boys we just didn't freaking give boys, <laughs> boys bombs, bombs, we wouldn't be in any of this mess. Yeah, should we just put bomb? Well, we have nuclear boys war. and bombs. Can we put yeah. boys and bombs? Boys and bombs. Sure. Even boys, we gave boys bombs. We gave boys, <laughs> boys bad boys, bad boys. Whoever bad gave boys the boys the bombs, bombs. we bad didn't give boys. good boys bombs. Bad boys, bad, bad boys, boys and, their and their bombs. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Can we, I just want to backtrack quickly because I feel like we talked about this briefly and I just want to, I think this is a good um, option for the the board is we spoke earlier about like the exodus. Yeah. I don't yes. we like should just brain put drain. The brain drain. I think we should just put that because I do feel like that was what initially prompted the wall because they were losing so many, as you said, like yes. young workers and intellectuals because they were like, this, this is not good over here. Mm -hmm. I was going to call it um, like the Soviets attempt at migration control, mm -hmm. but... Um, 
But I think the uh, brain, but we understand right. like, yeah. brain drain was a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. This is from history.com. The existence of West Berlin, a conspicuously capitalist city deep within communist East Germany, stuck like a bone in the Soviet throat. As Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev put it, the Russians began maneuvering to drive the United States, Britain and France out of the city for good. In 1948, a Soviet blockade of West Berlin aimed to starve the Western allies out of the city. Instead of retreating, however, the United States and its allies supplied their sector of the city from the air. This effort, known as the Berlin Airlift, lasted for more than a year and delivered more than 2.3 million tons of food, fuel, and other goods to West Berlin. Mm. The Soviets called off the blockade in 1949. Because remember, this is like an island in East Germany. Right. Mm. So they could do this. So hmm. that's all. I mean, that's early. Tensions have started. It's 1948. Mm-hmm. Mm. The war ended in 45. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from Business Insider. The GDRs, the German Democratic Republic, Ministry of State Security, known as the Stasi, imposed near absolute obedience to the state through surveillance, intimidation, torture, and a massive network of informants that turned neighbors and families against one another. A common saying in East Germany was, if three people are in a room, one is an informant. Mm. Mm. It'd be Chris, yes. Chris Smith. It would definitely yeah, be. Which one of the bus is the informant? <laughs> but not because, of, not because I'm so devious. It's okay. just because I have a lot of friends. So oh, I, you're too popular. You're a connector. I would be, you know my, the hot would just be, I would just, like, the Stasi would see that and they would want to leverage that. They'd be like, this guy is, is a cool guy. People like, he's, attra- yeah. he's attractive. He's magnetic. He's I think, like, or they just look like his pushover. The rest of us are too strong and are, have too much integrity. That's the other take. He's got a million dollar smile. Like, look at the chagrin on this guy. Eye. He'll do whatever we say and think of us as his idea. <laughs> Uh, I'd be a key player, Clayton. And you're jealous. You're the star. You're You're the star. We're all just supporting actors in this. Oh, I have. uh, Well, it's not going to be exciting to an an audio-only audience, but I bought this in Germany. It's a. It's a rush. It's a spy tactic, Mm. and it's a. It's a. uh, What is it? A. One dollar coin with Kennedy on it. Is that right? A half dollar coin. Why is it a a spy tactic? Because you it's just it's a it's the weight of a regular coin. It looks exactly like a regular coin. But here is the other piece that you would have. And you put the coin into this. So it looks like a round circle. Yeah, yeah, it's a round metal ring. And then you put it in. And so like, this is what you would care, you know, like you would, you would just carry a coin in your pocket. And then on the other side, like they would have this ring and I'm, you can hear me trying to open it. Basically you like (laughs) uh, tap the ring, you put the coin in the ring and then the coin splits in half and there's a message or there's a message inside or a chip. Interesting. Oh my God. Or a computer chip Uh, here. So wow. you, I split it open. Wow. It split open. And here is, is wild. I think I bought this at the GDR museum. That is so 
And the message is, you will have great luck. The message so, no, is. Wait a second. That's a, that's a good, fortune cut. The message is, come into a Chris lot of money. is the informant. Chris Smith <laughs> is the informant. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, imagine. Okay, so there's a lot going on at that time. Yes. There's No one trusts anyone. Mm-hmm. There's spies everywhere, even families. You can't trust each other. Oh, and before the wall goes up you're able to go back and forth in from east to west some people had jobs in the west they yeah. lived in the east mm-hmm. um and so you're seeing the difference of <laughs> the local economy and right. just like it's like so visual yeah mm-hmm. like they, um, yeah the they, east was like pretty depressed like there 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 was you're going from the east to the west and you see like construction and rebuilding and like hustling bustling activity and you go back to the east and it's like a little bit they've shipped all the assets back to like the soviet union and it's real depressed and you're like oh god i would just like to to say one thing for socialism though another thing that really stood out to me from the gdr museum was that in the east 80 percent of women said that they orgasmed every single time they had sex (laughs) in the west 60 percent of women said they orgasmed what an interesting fact 60 percent is still high so like actually like like uh, gender equality is good for female it is well socialism is good for gender equality because it's like no yes it's not about it's not necessarily about like self-actualization for women sure. but it's just like equal and so in the east there yeah. was better like social care and social structures and men and women were doing the same jobs and it was like and there was like lots of nudism and all this wild stuff in the east so i will say you know like yeah sure and, 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 and it's good to point out too that after you had been after these people had been uh through the war this generation was like well i do get you know f- medical you know free health care yeah. uh, they're giving me an apartment to live in mm-hmm. you know it's taking care of i'm being taken care of deal for some people's not everyone was against it mm-hmm. um it, it was just that stark difference of going back and forth that i i'm sure must have been jarring and there's a there's a story about the the first person who was shot mm. crossing mm-hmm. the the berlin wall Mm -hmm. after it was put up so this person had uh his name was gustav hold on gustav litfin sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry gunter litfin that was his name and he was a tailor apprentice and he had what had been from the east he lived in the east and his shop was in in the west Mm -hmm. and he decided that he was going to move so he got an apartment on the west side but it, it, it this was he got the apartment like in early like may 1961 right before the war but he didn't uh sign up as a new west berlin resident because he had his mom who had was on the east side and mm. his dad had recently passed away and he wanted to be able to go back and forth to go visit his mom mm. so with a weekend where the when the wall goes up of course nobody knows that the wall is going up he goes to the east side he's with his family and then suddenly he finds himself stuck on oh. the other side mm. with his mom and so with his mom mm. but his apartment and his whole life is on the west mm. so he spends uh i think a week or two trying to figure out you know what how to get to the other side he and his brother are trying to figure out an escape and finally he um he just he he crosses 
the the grounds of uh, and, and he reaches the banks and then at this point no one had been killed crossing mm. trying to cross the border and I, I i can imagine that perhaps he was like well they're not going to shoot me right, <laughs> right. you know sure. like what are they going to do gonna... shoot me right. yeah <laughs> yes. and so he they fired some warning shots oh. he kept running and then he was shot i believe in the back of the head mm. and oh. he was almost at the west side I, I want to say he died on the west side. Um, so extremely tragic. And just like this, there were many other stories of. Mm. But, but, you know, when you think about it in a, on a personal level as one story, it makes yeah. you realize how devastating as opposed to devastating the circumstances were as opposed to just like looking at the numbers. Yeah, yeah, and even know? aside from the politics too, like there there were people who had family members that they didn't see for forty plus years because they were separated by the wall. Like there, who were like, like a few he, blocks away. Yeah, you know? like yeah. that they before had seen re- on a regular basis, and like you know they had those stories. There there were a lot of people who did get through the wall. Like they, I think there were there's stories of people who like would drive cars through like weaker parts of the wall in the early days, or they would scale nearby buildings and like jump over. Mm-hmm. Like there was, uh, you know. I, a lot more people did get through than were were killed, but it just speaks to like the humanity of it all too. Oh. Like what a like a literal wall between Pasadena and South Pasadena, yeah. separating me from my mother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh my god, that would be devastating. <laughs> devastating. And from my friends, exactly. I know. For forty plus years. Ah. Uh. Um, I, we're running out of time, but this is a biggie. I know, but I do feel like we should talk a tiny bit, maybe just two minutes about the actual fall sure. of mm. the wall. Okay. Right? Yeah. Well, that's right. Better. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So an exciting you know, moment. It's, it's the, you know, by the mid eighties, tensions are escalating. Um, a lot of pressure is coming from the Eastern uh, European countries, Czechoslovakia, um, and and, and uh, what other countries here? Just Hungary, I think. Yes, Hungary, Poland, Poland, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're zooming past it. But we're, you know, they're essentially say, okay, we're going to allow. Um, the there were Soviet demonstrations Union. happening in East Germany, yes. all so these countries, yes, within, yes. W- within the you know East Germany protests. Itself. Yeah, they were becoming more like they wanted some like democratic elected uh, yes. elections and so on and so forth. Also, um, Gorbachev is now in power, and he institutes this. I he knows he can see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Hello, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> <laughs> he he just realizes that it's it's falling short of its competition on the west and he decides to try this policy of reform of mm-hmm. openness perestroika <laughs> yes and that is it, it just it's, essentially may, ha, encourages people yeah, to... it throws gas on the fire. Yeah. It encourages more demonstrations, and it sort of... It, it clearly weakened his position uh, yes. there, the, of, of keeping up the wall, right? And mm. so they decided that they're, you know, they're going to allow for... Uh, they're going to open up the block. And there's this big announcement, right? So... Yeah, this announcement is so interesting yeah. how, how this actually happened. I'll talk about it. So this is uh, Gunter Shabowski, and this is from uh, the New York Times. 
Against the backdrop of mass protests and a wave of Eastern German refugees that had already fled the country via Hungary and what was then Czechoslovakia, Gunter Schabowski, the leader of, of the East Berlin Communist Party, convened journalists to announce a series of reforms to ease travel restrictions. When asked when the new rules would take effect, Mr. Schabowski paused and studied the notes before him with a furrowed brow. <laughs> then he stumbled through a partially unintelligible answer, declaring, uh, it takes effect as far as I know it is now immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mistake. Uh, they had planned nothing of that sort. Wow. The idea had been to appease the growing resistance movement with minor adjustments to visa rules and also to retain the power to deny oh, travel. Oh my God, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Just a real <laughs> flub. Oops. He didn't read his notes beforehand. Didn't have time. And I think, I think that, um, you know, it was all happening so fast and the pressure was so strong. And so people just like literally Grabbed showed up their at the hammers, wall. right? Like, yeah. And, and the, the guards at the wall were kind of looking at each other being like, well, we haven't gotten orders that it's okay right. to happen. But the people are like, well, we saw the thing in the news. We saw Gunter right. <laughs> in the news. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like just the idea of the wall becomes so confounding when you're when the leaders are saying we're going to relax the restrictions on travel, right? It's yeah. like, well, then what's the point of the yeah. wall, right, guys? So the, it's funny how in that moment, it just became like the symbol of the wall or rather the power of the wall kind yeah. of diminished. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So and I like I do remember like that's one of the first news stories I really like remember as a kid. You know, like mm -hmm. I just remember seeing it, it's such it's and it's such like the memory of the eighties to me. You know, like mm -hmm. I know eighties like, Germany too. Like yeah, yeah. it's like these punk pulling rock the sections of the wall down, pulling yeah. it down, like popping the champagne, like throwing the cans of the bottles of beer at the wall. Like it just felt even you know as a seven-year-old or whatever we were or it was like whoa something incredible is happening right now there's some yeah. kind of freedom on being unleashed right now mm -hmm. yeah there's this so yeah so i was just gonna say there's this great movie that all your listeners should see, watch called goodbye lenin and it's about a uh kid in east berlin whose mother uh, has a heart attack and goes into a coma days before the wall comes down. And oh. then eight months pass and she wakes up from the coma and the nurse says like, she can't have any surprises. Nothing can shock her because mm. like she'll have a, a next heart attack that could be fatal. So the whole movie is like the kid and his siblings and friends just like trying to make her believe that she's still in East Berlin wow. when like all of the West has infiltrated and the wall is down. Oh, it's really amazing. So interesting. I want to see that. So I feel like we have a pretty good board. Yeah. I want to maybe yeah. a suggestion or two. Please. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, do we put, I don't know if it's just like we put capitalism versus socialism or capitalism and socialism separate or something like more conceptual, like the battle for the soul of like the future world. Cause it just seemed like, you know, I'm, I just, I'm picturing this like idea of like post-war, these two enemies who are allied to defeat the bigger enemy at the time, suddenly being like, right. now how do we divide up this city? And like how it quickly becomes about their ethos or their mm -hmm. agenda mm -hmm. that then you literally manifested in an actual wall. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, like 
parents or something who are in a really bad place but decide to stay together just mm. until their child, you know, finishes school and then they'll deal with the problem, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, sure. <laughs> or like joining forces for, yeah. I, I don't know because, I mean, it was obviously good that, that they decided to put their differences aside in order to defeat yes. an even larger em- enemy, right? Right. Another you know, thing, but yeah, go ahead. Another thing on the, I like, I don't know if we put it up on the board, but like, it just, I was just thinking, like, whose idea was it to build a wall? You know, I feel now like Trump has said, like, build the wall, build the wall so much. And like, there's like the Great Wall of China, but like, thinking of like, it's so medieval, like, to actually be like the, the solution <laughs> right. we're going to do is build a full fortress wall. Like, that is bizarre. Like, patrol it. There was obsession with walls. Yeah, obsession with walls. And fences. And, uh, you know, we love to split things up and say, like, you can't come here. This is mine. (laughs) It does feel so sort of like like such a lame response to what is clearly a broader problem, right? It's like, it just feels like a Band-Aid. A wall is just like a Band-Aid that you can stand up straight <laughs> yeah. or just like it just feels too so much like an afterthought like are we really going to rely on this wall to do the work of what, what you know what they're what they're clearly is yeah. happens to be and in, in the case of the u.s uh mexico border too it's like these are deeper problems yes they're not they're not going to be solved both of these are 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 uh like we're, we're just not dealing with our problems yeah it's like a Right. So, so can, do we have them, Clayton? I feel like you maybe think so. we put up fundamental differences and wall wall obsession, thi- wall fetish, wall obsession. Wall yeah, fetish. wall fetish is good. <laughs> Fortress <Okay>. fetish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll start knocking things off the board. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. Okay, who's to blame for the Berlin Wall? World War II, the issue of reparations, Potsdam Agreement, Hitler, Joseph Stalin, the threat of nuclear war, bad boys and their bombs, the brain drain, wall fetish, battle of capitalism versus socialism, or fundamental differences. <laughs> fundamental we just differences. can't get along. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's maybe another thought? Uh, you guys can just reject this out of hand if you want to, but I also think proximity of yeah like proximity of these two of this like berlin you know being east berlin being such close proximity to west berlin and sort of hearing about and seeing the difference in sort of choices you know mm-hmm. that they have in 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 the west um like the grass is greener yeah the something? grass is literally greener on the other side of the mm-hmm. fence or in this case the wall um but yeah. uh, even as i say that you know, it just feels that feels way too conceptual mm-hmm, and sort of like. Mm-hmm. There's just there's something about like uh, that I feel like we haven't quite captured that feels important. Where it's like mm-hmm. like the two vi- like the the fact that Russia and the U.S. and like like ha- happen to be the U.S. and and France and uh, and Germany and England like all happen to be on the same side of the of the yes. win as Ger- as Russia as the Soviet Union and i feel mm-hmm. like there's just something in that weird tension of like both the Soviet Union and the US with such philosophical and ideological differences about what winning meant and like what the new world was supposed to look like after the winning of the war like I don't know. I feel like it, you're we're getting towards it. Where it's like they're just so close together. They're seeing each like they're seeing the difference of these ideologies play out. But mm-hmm. I just feel like the fact that like the Soviet ideology and the democratic ideology were right there next to each other was like unmanageable. 
Mm. Uh, they needed space. They needed a timeout. Yeah, I don't I know how to write that. I think it's interesting too, from like a bigger picture perspective, that these two big powers came in later when Hitler was to like squash a movement that was like growing and becoming strong. Like if you think about it, like Hitler there's a world in which he like takes over the world, you know, like he just keeps yeah. expanding. And then like both the U S and the Soviet union are, you know, occupied and like, they can't mm. pursue their separate agendas. Right. So it's almost like, it's interesting that these two big fundamentally different ideologies came together to quash uh, a threat to them. And then it just immediately goes back to. Yeah. Their pre-existing conflict. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. Right. It wasn't going to solve it for for both countries. Like just be, being unified for a hot second wasn't going to Right. It feels like they did that so they could pursue their own agenda still. You're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. we both want right. to keep fighting with each other about what's the best way to rule a country or a, an empire. Mm-hmm. Let's put this fire out that's threatening both of our empires quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Berlin like literally I mean it's like and Germany like literally like Rebecca's divorce analogy it's like it's like mom took the daughter and dad took the son right. and they moved to different cities and raised them like totally differently you know mm-hmm. and they weren't allowed to see each other again like <laughs> or just different parts of the house and they put up a wall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it could happen <laughs> that's true it can um so what are we gonna do here with this list though yeah we gotta I feel like the bad boys and their bombs can fold into the threat of nuclear war. Agree, yeah. Okay. I also feel like the brain, like brain drain, folds into the Soviet migration control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yep. I feel like. I feel like. I mean, I. I, I understand why we put Stalin, but I do feel like Hitler is more to blame. Mm. I mean, it's complicated. Like they always deserve Stalin, some slaps. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Stalin and 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 all of the ally, the Western allies, they wouldn't have been in this problem if Hitler hadn't been there. <laughs> you know, mm. if Hitler hadn't been such a huge problem, right? It's so horrific. All right, we can okay, keep Hitler and off. move Joey. What do you think? Hitler, Joey, Joey, Joe, Joe. <laughs> Joey. Mm. So, the issue of reparations. Yeah, explain that. Like, it's the disagreement. It's their. It, it kind of falls like, into the Potsdam Agreement. Well, I guess what you were saying was that after World War One, there were reparations demanded from Germany, and that led to you know the a bigger the problem. rise of of yeah. Nazism and the sort of like the in the Weimar whatever mm. you know sort of like there was like a power gap there mm-hmm. I yes. guess that other people could take advantage of, and the, I think the West was weary of 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 creating that situation again. Mm-hmm. While the Soviets were like, we need money. We need these resources. Mm. Why can't we take it from Germany? Mm -hmm. So there was that difference of how to approach reparations Mm. is really. It feels that feels like very much like if we're going to put that on the board, I think it, you know, I, I, I think we should blame 
you know, Hitler and his ideology over over the sort of reparations that led to someone like Hitler, right? Mm. Mm. Sure. If that's what we're saying, the reparations, the, the the sort of idea of reparations was that led that that made them sort of, I, I guess, because it's super convoluted. I think it's like the reparations, the attempt at not levying reparations or demanding well, but that's reparations what, what in World created War II the, created the, the sort separation. Of, that's right. what created the separation. Created of the separation. East and West. I think the, that somehow it like all ties into just like the disagreement of like both how we should punish Germany and like, mm-hmm. and how yeah. we should move forward into a new world after the great war, you know, like, um, uh, it just seems like maybe all part of it. So then is it just the Potsdam agreement? Right. It's like we what we couldn't get yeah. done. Right. Yeah. So fold the it into failure. Potsdam agreement. Yeah. Sure. Yes. I also feel like World War II folds into Hitler, right? Mm-hmm. We can Yeah. Yep. We can go there. Um the threat of nuclear war. Mm-hmm. It's a valid one. Valid. That feels very yeah, real. Yeah, it feels real. Wall fetish. I mean, that feels pretty good too. <laughs> Soviet migration control. That, that. I mean, I guess you could fold the migration control into wall fetish. Sure. And, yeah. yeah. Um, the battle of capitalism versus socialism. That feels really real too. Fundamental differences. <laughs> that feels really? like I can fold into the battle of. Yes, it's a little yeah. general. I think it can be a little more specific. Is it? That feels like what the um, divorce papers say. Yes, you know, yeah. like, yes. irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. Yeah, irreconcilable differences. <laughs> so we're left with five huge ones. I don't know how we're going to do this. Yeah. Potsdam Agreement. Hitler, the threat of nuclear war, wall fetish, and battle of capitalism versus socialism. Maybe it'll help us if we think we're blaming the the building, the rise right. of the Berlin Wall. Mm. Like what led the, to the rise, of, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh-huh. I think you can what take wall fetish off then. the actual wall? No, I think if anything. <laughs> well, but I feel like what it's... Like we've got to build a wall. <laughs> it's just I mean, so... To me, it's just a little generic. Like, okay, sure, we're obsessed with walls, it's, but like, it's bigger than wall. But it could have, I mean, if they hadn't built that wall, perhaps it wouldn't have been so definite, right? But what's cre- so I guess titillated by walls. Yeah, what's creating the wall fetish though? Like, we build the wall because A, B, and C is happening, and we can't figure it out. Yeah. So we build that a wall. Maybe it's that the, just, the like, threat of nuclear war. So the, right. then it goes back to the bigger uh, attention at the time, which was that we had just gone through the war. Both sides have a nuclear bomb and they don't know how to solve their irreconcilable irre- 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 yeah. differences. But I think, <laughs> but I, wouldn't you say that like the, the allied side, the, 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 capitalistic side the democratic side was more afraid of nuclear war like from on the russians end right like i think so they were more afraid of what russia would do but it was the eastern bloc who was in charge of building the wall you know yeah so mm-hmm. I feel like right um 
like I don't think that like the Eastern block, it, like it, it didn't, the wall didn't get built from the Eastern block side because of the threat of nuclear war, you know? Mm, yeah. I see. They because, had that in their back pocket. It was okay. the migration. It was the, that's, that's and right. the, it yeah. goes down to the battle of capitalism versus socialism, right? right? Because right. they felt like they couldn't lo- keep losing. They felt threatened. They felt threatened. It was, yeah. By yeah. the flood of, of, of my uh, migration. Yeah. Yeah. It was ultimately a bad PR look that people were leaving. And so I think for me, the most like, if you're, we're we're talking about less conceptual, more sort of practical, it was migration control. Mm -hmm. It's just literally, you know, it was just that they didn't want, they, they set these laws Please don't leave. We need you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people were like, see ya. I'm, I'm out of here. And they were like, okay, well, we got to do something about this. Right. I will then, say, but I think they were like, I, you all are tantalized by like the, the capitalist, um, Right. false idols yes you right. know like you're ca- yes. you're tantalized by these yeah. false gods of capitalism and you're wrong which and goes so, back to the battle between you know, the two like, ideologies we're gonna yeah. keep you here we're gonna keep you here until you realize that you're wrong that socialism is better you know like and we know what's better for you which is to like build a wall and keep you hostage on mm-hmm. this side so that you can live this the socialist dream right. of the future you know it's a little pr did we say this? It's like PR control. Like they're losing all these yeah. people. So the wall is a good way of being like, we got to stop making it look like everyone hates what we're offering and, and proselytizing mm-hmm. <laughs> and keep them here and keep selling the idea. <laughs> now, and this is not to say, you guys know how I feel about capitalism. I'm not like, you know, <laughs> right. they were all One wrong and the capitalists the are all right. It's not like good versus evil. Yeah, exactly. But that's how it's you sold know. on both ends. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, they called it, the, they actually called it the anti-fascist protection rampart. Oh. Like, that's what they called <laughs> the wall. So Doesn't to Jacqueline's, to Jacqueline's point, they were like, those Westerners are fascists. Yeah, they're yeah. brainwashing you. Um. So PR is a big is a big player too. Maybe we didn't really talk a lot about that. No. Maybe it's like the but, the PR of capitalism versus socialism. Like right, right, mm-hmm. which falls under battle. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it would, we would have folded of, PR into I think that concept. Here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think we send battle the battle of capitalism versus socialism to the alarmist jail, and we slap Hitler for causing this whole mess. Hmm. Do we have Hitler in jail yet? We do, I believe. I think we got him in jail. So I'm like, if not, this is a good opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) But I just just want to counter with one thought, which is that the Potsdam Agreement feels really ripe for me. And simply because, you yes, you have these two ideologies, but what you have is a greater need represented by the sort of destruction of Germany and this sort of this vacuum. And the Potsdam Agreement was supposed to address that. Right, mm-hmm. solve it. Uh-huh. And it was a failure. Yeah. Essentially. It was uh-huh. essentially a failure. It was essentially the Potsdam okay. disagreement. I... Right. Jacqueline, right, that Jacqueline. is so, so the, true. The Chris is a spy. Chris is a spy. Dis, and I'm hit a spy. the nail on the head <laughs> on the wall. So you're folding basically the battle of capitalism, socialism into this agreement, which was failed because the battle basically rages on. Right. right. Or, I like that. Or are you, I like that. Are, we, are you advocating for putting them together? Or are you advocating for like a uh, Potsdam agreement to get the slap? 
I just like the idea of Potsdam Agreement and the the players that were there on mm-hmm. that day, putting them in the alarmist jail or mm. giving them a slap mm. because there th- this is a group of people that came together to attempt to do something. Yep. And look, it's right there on your, in your title. You're trying to make an agreement and you didn't do it. And you then failed. when you say it that way, then it makes me want to slap the Potsdam Agreement. Potsdam it. Hitler to jail. Pots, damn it. Pots, damn it. Why are they there? Why are they there having to make an agreement? Pots, damn it. None of us can agree. (laughs) Why are they there? They're there because of Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. So then I think we send Hitler to the alarmist jail. All right. All right. I know sure. we're going to feel bad about that. Get no out, dude. Just call and <laughs> no. Get out of here. So we finally done our part. Hitler and Jalen, and you're slapping the Potsdam okay. agreement. Okay. I'm calling it. Potsdam agreement. You're getting the big slap. Hitler, you're going to the alarmist jail. Oh, finally. It's so nice when some of the big ones really. <laughs> when we, we brought him down. Yeah. He's down. It's always Hitler. Yeah. There there? are um, alarms going off at the jail, but like the the ones that are not for it's not a drill and it's Mm -hmm. not like a a, a, a be aware alarm. I mean, be aware for sure. Hitler's Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Have you um, it's like a celebration alarm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you guys like ever done like a a montage or a collage of all the people who are in jail for you right now? Mm, You should. Someone did do that. Yes. A while back. Years ago, years ago, this was before. I mean, an the, artist did oh, did wow. a, a fan art of yeah, fan art of uh, everyone who was in jail. But we've got so many people in it's jail too now. Many now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing. Um, Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us today. We couldn't have done this without you. Bitchishun. That means you're welcome. Cheers. <laughs> that means bye. <laughs> In the aftermath, the fall of the Berlin Wall on November 9, 1989, marked the end of the Cold War. Pieces of the wall can still be seen in modern Berlin at the Topography of Terror Museum, the Berlin Wall Memorial, and the East Side Gallery. And parts of the wall can be found at museums and exhibitions all over the world. The Alarmist is now on Patreon. Subscribe and get ad-free content along with bonus episodes. Go to patreon.com slash thealarmist or check out the link in our show description. Visit our website, www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, at thealarmistpodcast and on Twitter, at alarmistthe. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with editing by Molly Hockey and fact-checking by Chris Smith. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Crystal Dinsberg. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the death of Houdini. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.